Welcome to BitFaced. Didn't think we'd be doing a live event this early in the year, but you know what? When Kapow asks, I answer. And I say, yes, I will be there with bells on, Laura, please. And, and, and when do I need to be there? Very excited to do this panel today. Not only do I get to talk to some people doing some local stuff, I get to talk to some people doing some local comic books. And as you guys know, I love comic books. We've got a stacked panel today. Uh, I've read all of these books. I love all of these books. And I have a lot of good questions. And I'm hoping that my panel today has a lot to say about their work. I'm just going to go down the table and introduce everyone. And then we'll get started. From the Farokin, Jennifer Swartwood. See? <laughs> yeah, you got it right. <laughs> yes. Thank goodness. Uh, from Morally Bankrupt, I've got Eric Josephson and Kevin R. Smith. Hey, how's Hello. it going? Hey. And finally, doing his first podcast today, and I'm really excited to talk to him, from the Aaron Yees Project, Michael Blickley. Guys, welcome to BitFaced. It's so good to have you here. First question, and this is a question Laura asked me to ask you guys, why independent comic books? Um, I guess I'll go first then. Sure. Okay. <laughs> um, so... I chose to do this independently because I knew that if I was going to be working for a big name publisher or anything like that, I would be full of restrictions and they would probably ask me to cross a lot of lines that I don't want to cross. And I've also heard how hard it is if you were to create something for a company or while you're employed with that company. I mean, everyone knows what happened with Superman and all that stuff. I know that's still a problem. Um, you know, if you leave that company, you have to leave your work as well. And, you know, something you pour your whole heart into. And it's, it'd be like losing a limb of some kind. So it would be very difficult for me to do that. So I wanted full control and I didn't want to have to deal with any of that. So this was the way I knew that I would have the full control to do what I wanted. And, uh, and that was kind of why I did it. And when you say full control, when I opened up your book last night, your name is every credit. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> I did know that there was going to be a drawback where I was going to have to do everything. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that was kind of the one drawback is, is the amount of work that I would have to do. But to me, it was worth it. So. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The same question, right? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I think it, for us, the choice on independence yeah. For us, yeah, the choice uh, to run independently was I pretty much the same reason. It's, uh, I mean, we like the the hand-drawn style, really. Mm. And uh, a lot of the comics nowadays run on the digital format, which nothing wrong with. But we, I, I'm a big fan growing up with the days of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you know, The Tick, uh, the old school hand-drawn comics. And so for me, it just seemed like it, it, it just seemed like a natural choice. And yeah, a lot of the big studios and whatnot don't like to see that. They, they, they like to go in you know, the direction of having everything digital. And I wanted to be, I wanted to fall back into a, an, an older format, I guess. And to mirror what was said, I think there's quite a bit of freedom in self-publishing and getting out there as an independent comic. You get to choose how the audience sees what you do it, not only through distribution, but through the way that we um, we present the comic, right? Right. Well, yeah, yeah true. I thought I didn't have a choice as far <laughs> as <laughs> that, that I had to go uh, do this on my own. Because I'd be walking around a comic book store and I'd see you got superhero books, you got Star Wars books, and... Uh, 
Maybe on a shelf you see Rick and Morty, but that was it. So I was thinking, well, I, I, I'm not sure if a publisher would want me in the first place if that's all they're getting out there. But uh, one of the more satisfying moments came from Free Comic Book Day last year when I was giving out a free issue to a guy, and he he was just amazed that there was <laughs> that I, I had my own thing set up with a free issue and everything, and he was going, wow, you really are indie, aren't you? And it was made his day. How hard is it to put together a book, guys, from start to finish? I can start I, again, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Oh, no, yeah. I said, there was no, that moment, ahead. so I thought I'd, I I'd start grab it. first. You go ahead. <laughs> right. Go ahead. Uh, from start to finish, it can be grueling, especially when, you know, there's only one or a few credits uh, on the uh, entire project. Mm. Uh, especially, it, it, I don't know, you want to jump in on this? Oh, sure. So uh, I, I take it and then I back off. And uh, that's my and, thing. No, that's fine. Uh, getting everybody to work together, I think, can be a challenge sometimes because there are so many parts to the comic. Uh, as far as it goes, Eric and I do the majority of the work. I mean, you could look from, from front cover to back cover and see what we do. Right. However, we do have featured artists. We try and get other people involved just to give them exposure even. Um, and that can be where the difficulty comes in. I think when it comes down to it, um, as an artist, producing is where you run into a lot of challenges with folks. More so than anything else. Yeah, that, that can be the rough part. Mm. So when you say producing, getting your book into someone's hand, getting it out of the comic book stores? Honestly, it's, it's always the first hurdle, right? It's um, doing the work. It's writing the script. It's doing the art. It's doing the coloring. That's where, if you can overcome that hurdle, the rest of it's technical. But creating, and that's, you know, <laughs> that's why there's um, any medium, Creating it is where you have to overcome it. Then you can learn how to get it printed, what you want in the quality of the paper. I mean, all of the technical stuff that you could possibly desire, right? For me, the hardest part, I think, is when you're kind of getting to the end of putting things together. Because, I mean, we all know there's tons of work. You know, you got to pencils, inks, uh, colors, and the lettering, and all that fun stuff, yeah. Um, the hard part for me is after I've been working on something for so long, it's hard to see the mistakes. Mm. You know, everything starts to become static. And uh, I, I don't know how many times, I think the first book, it's not in there anymore, but like there was one panel where someone's hand didn't have any shading on it. And I went through like two printings before even noticing that. And, uh, and even my proofers didn't notice it either. So it's kind of finding all the mistakes is is probably my, I guess, most annoying part of the, of the job. But, um, but even still, um, it's just getting the artwork done. Because the story usually comes fairly quickly to me. Um, it's just the artwork and then the, the layout, yeah, that's all technical. Um, which, at the same thing, at that point, it can become static. So, um, so when you're kind of hoping that you found all the mistakes or uh, your layout's correct and you're sitting at your computer thinking, okay, do I tell them approve, go ahead and print it, or do I do another proof? And, you know, once you get to that point to where you can't push it back any farther because your deadline's there, you know, it's kind of just having the faith to hit approve <laughs> and uh, hoping and praying that there aren't any glaring issues. 
because there could be something in even in your story that is so inconsistent and you not even notice because you've been working on it for so long Mm -hmm. so because you change things all the time or i change things all the time uh so um so yeah that's i say that's probably the the hardest part for me is is finally accepting when something is done (laughs) so (laughs) michael do you run into that as well uh at points uh, i handle the writing side of all the books so for me it's looking through a a script and thinking okay this looks good can I make it better or can I make this just right and it's mostly at the tweaking side of it the other side would be when the artists get a hold of it and they make something I look through it and I I will I will occasionally ask them a question about what they were going with uh, when it comes to a certain part here and they'll tell me and then I'll also have to try and describe uh, an edit to them when I want something changed so it's, it's a lot of the minutia that's the part where paying attention pays off. So how much different when you turn in a script, Michael, to finished product are we, are we looking? Is there a lot of changes through the interpretation of the art, or do you, you kind of oversee that and make sure what's on the page is exactly what you want? Well, uh, the good news is the lead artist I've got, Shauna, is uh, very good at uh, understanding how... Uh, a page is supposed to go and so most of the time I'll look at it and then I'll say yeah that looks pretty good and then I'll put it down and then I'll look back at it later on and just see if there's anything I missed and I'll go through this process a couple of times each and she's uh she's always happy to uh you know write down when an adjustment needs to be made and goes ahead and does it so it's 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 not the most intensive process so much as it's looking at it looks good then looking at this panel making sure it looks good then looking at that panel and make sure it looks good so it's uh it can take a bit of time but i i think it's worth uh the extra attention you guys all make comics i would assume that you guys all love comics i always like to ask people what's the first issue that really drew you in or what's the first experience with comic books or with even mad magazine that, that kind of brought you into this and, and made you realize that you wanted to do this yourself. No, I said, I actually, it wasn't until like high school that I really started falling into comics. Uh, but before that, you know, my dad had, uh, Mad Magazine, and you know it was pride to sneak it out of his room and and kind of read it because it was deemed inappropriate when I was younger. But uh, the the format of it, the variety show type format of mm-hmm. the uh, of the magazine itself was really what I enjoyed. Having all those little I guess skits uh, kind of mashed together in one comic format, and then from there I just kind of fell into actual comics like the the comic books, mm. but. Yeah, that's uh, that, that was kind of the origins of it, though. There's uh, when you look at those old Mad magazines, and then you look at something like South Park. It just amazes me that that was considered offensive at one point in our history. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. 
because I, I grew up with Mad Magazine as well. And as soon as I opened Morally Bankrupt last night and saw the flow, I was like, there's no way that these guys didn't at least know what Mad was. It's yeah. just uh, there's some art in there, too, that's very similar to Don Martin's art. Um, yeah. I'm trying to remember which piece it was, but I, I wrote it down in my notes. I'm not going to look now. I'm going to keep talking. But <laughs> it's oh, uh, the, the pet yeah. crematorium. Yes. Yes, yeah. exactly. When I looked at that art, I thought they, they took a little bit of influence from Don Martin in, in, in all the best ways. So I was very happy to see that. Yeah. My goal is to keep it very, uh, very varied. <laughs> keep it, uh, you know, yeah, it's so there's a lot of different referencing that I do within the comic as well. So each comic has its own kind of homage to a, a select artist. Yeah, so. absolutely. when we sit down and talk about uh, what we're doing in the next issue, or like say our next issue now, right. I think we talk about the styles that we want to see brought out in each um, in each skit or in each you know uh, piece of variety. That is true. We yeah. will. When we talk about it, when a skit idea comes together, uh, that's another thing we do talk about is how, well, how best it would look if it if it were in like a certain say like a like a John Crickfalusi type style, or you know, say Don uh, Don Davis or just whatnot. to give it that feel even. Yeah, I mean it's almost like cinematography, in right. that, the way it looks, the way it reads, it goes together to bring that feeling, and when you turn to a different page, and that's what you're faced with it should put you in a different mindset yeah and i think that's part of it too is when you go from one skit to the next having the variety there where it it does you can tell where one ends and one be one begins because the the i guess the art the illustrations in it do vary uh quite a bit yeah, I didn't have a problem getting lost. It was almost uh, an ADD style, like, okay, here's a joke, and then I'm going to turn to the next page, and I'm going to get a completely different joke here, and now the Terminator's doing Quantum Leap, and it's, yeah, it, <laughs> yeah. I, I really, I, I think I, I got what you guys were going for, and I really enjoyed it, so, so thank oh, you thank very you. much. Actually, it's funny you say that, because originally we had the morally bankrupt subtitle was uh, ADHD Comics, or ADHD yeah. People, because we kind of run on a, on a subline there, so... Michael, uh, as far as uh, any specific comic, or do you just want uh, 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 more than one? You can go with multiple comics. You can go with a memory. I just want to know where this all starts for you. For me, as uh, on the comic side of things, my parents grew up uh, during the Silver Age of comic books, and my mom and my aunt had uh, a somewhat preserved collection to look at uh, later on when I was visiting. And one comic that really stood out to me was uh, my mom's copy of The Final Victory of Doctor Doom, which, uh, for those who don't know, is both an origin story of Doctor Doom as well as uh, one of his more uh, memorable uh, escapades, as it were, against the Fantastic Four. And I remember enjoying the, the pacing of the story. It was something I didn't I wouldn't be lost with, and it was something I carried with me forward. As for the uh, Arrhenius project in particular, it started as a story I was working on when I was in college, just for fun. And then when I got into a couple of uh, creative writing courses, I was given the opportunity to refine it and show it in front of an audience. And the, the, the college audience uh, I presented it to was so positively, uh, was, it was such a positive reception that I knew it was something I could work on later in life when uh, the opportunity came around for it. 
And you also started your book in college, I think you mentioned earlier, Jennifer, correct? I did, yes. It actually started as a uh, final project for college, part of my thesis. Um, And my professor told me, you can do whatever you want. Okay, so apparently Batman was not included in that because she told me I couldn't do Batman. Uh, But she did suggest that I do my own superhero. And that's kind of where it all spawned from. Uh, So I... It was just designing the character. That was all the whole project was. And uh, then people kept asking, like, well, what's his powers? How did he get him? Stuff like that. And I honestly kind of got tired of answering because it was kind of a long story. So I made a short uh, comic as part of the the final thesis. So when people asked me, like, oh, you got to read it. So, <laughs> um, so um, but my professors, I had my main professor and uh, another one who loves comics, probably more than I do, which is saying something. Um, he absolutely loved it, and he wanted me to get it published, and I thought it was trash. So um, so I redid it, and um, then I liked that one, which is actually the Farouk and Origin part one, um, and then it was published shortly after. But uh, but as far as like my where my love of comics came from, actually, I used to play Batman video games all the time, or, or X-Men and all that stuff uh, as a kid. And um, I used to watch the animated series, Batman the Animated Series. And and I, I knew these all came from comics, but I never really totally read one. And I'm not sure what story I was in, but I found this Spider-Man comic book. And it was the Ultimate Spider-Man. Um, and I loved the artwork in it so much that I bought it just for the artwork. And then I eventually read it. And I'm like, this is awesome you know and uh, and I was probably I want to say 13 12 13 so it is kind of it was geared towards my age um at the time but I still love it to this day just because it's it's a unique story even though you know like Spider-Man every story's been told in Spider-Man um but uh I still have that actual book that I use as a, a drawing reference off and on and um but yeah I think it was from that comic and I hadn't even, I didn't even know that I could draw at that point. <laughs> so, and uh, my sister, she's an amazing artist. And uh, she asked if I wanted to draw. And I was thinking, okay, well, what on earth could I draw? And I'm looking through this, through the comic book. And, okay, I think I could, I could at least try to recreate this one panel. And I thought it looked terrible. <laughs> and, um, <clears throat> excuse me, and my, my family was like, this is great. And uh, so I... I kept drawing more and more just because I liked to I didn't really think I was that good because my sister she was older than me and she is amazing and um but then I kind of realized like okay well I guess we both have this skill (laughs) so I can do both uh I can I can draw uh well and um and I would just draw from comics nonstop. so so yeah I guess I guess spider-man Spider-Man. To go back to uh, my uh, my own time in college, uh, the earliest clue I got as to why the uh, Arrhenius Project should be a comic book was the college iterations were all just a regular text story. One classmate brought up that uh, it came across as a comic book with words, which is a tough one to pull off, but that was a clue I got that said, I could do this as a comic book. And that was, (laughs) that's why you see it as a comic book now. 
and you write it, Michael, you don't draw it. How do you find someone that is going to take care of your baby? Because Jennifer takes care of everything. I mean, if you look at the cover of her book, I mean, you're, you're, there's not another name. <laughs> uh, there you two work together obviously on your books you have to trust somebody outside with your art what was that like finding somebody it was a miniature adventure as far as uh, that goes i had managed to run into just a group of artists that hung out at uh, a restaurant every so often and just did art and and some of them were uh, working on projects, others weren't. And so it was a matter of I would pull aside the artists that were not working on projects at the moment, and I, 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 would, I would give them the pitch to what the story was, and if they were interested, they would uh, draw some uh, just concept art showing, showing me what they could do. And then the art that worked the best uh, got in. That's that's how Shauna got in, and she's been happily working on it since. I think you made a wonderful choice. I think the art fits the style of the book perfectly. Well, thank you. Uh, you should see the, the next issue that's coming out later this month. It's going to be great. <laughs> and just so everybody is listening knows, you can pick up all of these books at Kapow here in town. So please come by and grab them. Morally Bankrupt. I think one of the hardest things to do in comics, in movies, in anything, is humor. And I don't think it's appreciated enough. Why, why did you guys go that direction? Because telling a joke and making people laugh is very hard. People don't think that it is. Anyone thinks that they can do stand-up until they stand up with the microphone and start to tell a joke. So I, I think that it's, it's very hard to do comedy. Why did you guys decide to do that? I, it, the market itself is very, like drama action horror it's it's out there but very little do you see comedy uh i mean you know i know you can open like like the most recent deadpool book and and see you know his uh the stylings of of such but uh Mm. for us i think it was just that's that's part of it was is laughter is uh definitely something in the comic scene that you don't get a lot of uh coming from mad magazine to flashback there i mean that's what mad magazine specialized in was you know creating that creating that comedic element and i think i mean to interject too um you know you have comics say uh from like say zap you know from from the 60s you have comics that actually address social issues with comedy as well just because i think comedy is a medium that people are more open to listening to and even though it is hard to write a joke, you know, and make sure that, you know, everybody gets it and the visual gag works and what they're saying works. Right. Um, I think that in the end, people take more from that. You know, you can, I don't know, <laughs> that's me personally. Right. Well, and that's it. Yeah. I think uh, satire especially is, is kind of a lost art anymore in America because I grew up with mm-hmm. like the Naked Gun movies, Airplane, all these, or, yeah, Airplane. Airplane. Yeah. Thinking the other one, airport, uh, airport, airport seventy seven. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, I grew up with a, a lot of satire films, and watching them nowadays, uh, it, it doesn't. This it, it's they're not the new satire movies aren't any good. Yeah. And uh, so I think that was part of it too, was to flashback to a time when when satire was still appreciated. I guess. Well, now yeah. they're more like shock value. <clears throat> That's all it is. Yeah, yeah a lot. Of, or or it's a lot of you know um, quick jokes based on 
say a movie trailer or something like oh, that. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah, it's a one, it's a runoff pun, and then move mm. on. Whereas it's appreciation in in the build of the joke is, I think, a lost art. Mm. I often wondered why the new parody movies don't work, because when you go back and watch something like The Naked Gun, the first thing I think is there's no way you can make this nowadays. I don't, I don't know if it's people are not patient enough for the jokes, but I've tried to watch some of the epic movie, and the, I can't remember the other titles, and they're, they're awful. They're rough. And it's the same formula, though. It just doesn't work without the Zucker Brothers doing it, I guess. I don't know. You know, there was only one that I liked, and that was Scary Movie 3. And Which was actually pretty good. Yeah. That was Jerry Zucker and Pat Proft. Who yeah, that makes the sense. Old, okay. Who did Naked <laughs> Gun, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Because exactly. all those other ones, are like, oh, that's gross. Um, okay, I don't want to finish this. Like, yeah. Well, and <laughs> disgusting and shock yeah, value, yeah. that's all there is anymore. Yeah, the, the wind up to a good joke doesn't, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't exist happen. unless, you know. And they well, don't have the feel or the narrative that a good parody movie used to have, a good satire, you know? Well, right. You it, can build a narrative. And then also have those jokes and also have those events. Right. Well, but nowadays it's just joke to joke joke. Whereas uh, it, back in the day, yeah, it was that yeah. the, the narrative that would build in the jokes. So. Hmm. Now, Jennifer, you incorporate science into your work, unlike any book I've ever seen, to the fact that you can read through the book and you can see something and you can look on the panel and then you can look it up in the back and you prove yourself like, oh, I got this from this lawyer at UCLA. I got this from an FBI agent. I read this here. Where did that come from? Okay, so I'm one of those people who finds flaws in like science, in the science and stories. Like Ant-Man, great movie. I loved it. But, and, and for a character such as that to be translated to movies, they handled it very well. Um, and the science behind it is uh, they're shrinking the distance between the atoms in the molecules. And, I mean, atoms are made up of 97% empty space. So the science matches that, for sure. But that doesn't change the weight of the person. So when you see Ant-Man running across a gun or someone's shoulder, that's a 190-pound man running across you. You're going to feel that, you know? <laughs> so... Um, so, um, I just wanted to make sure, I mean, they're obviously, okay, the Farrokhan, he's, his power is metal-based, so you can't actually have liquid metal throwing, flowing through your body. That's clearly science fiction. You would die. <laughs> so, um, but as far as, like, the physics of it, that is correct. Um, so, I mean, if you're gonna take a science fiction, uh, or take science and make it fiction- in a realistic aspect, you know, I wanted to make sure that I didn't come across those problems, like the weight problem with the atoms and, and Ammon. And um, I try, I like things as realistic as possible just in general, like the Dark Knight trilogy. I love those. Um, and not just because Heath Ledger's amazing, uh, but um, just because Christopher Nolan took a realistic approach to it. And uh, that's what, that's one, I love comics so much. And to see that it could possibly be done in a realistic way, like it could actually happen in real life. I love that. Uh, so, I mean, mine's not quite there <laughs> to could happen in real life, but um, I just, I wanted to make sure that even I couldn't find a flaw in it. <laughs> so, cause I know I'm not the only type of person that, or the only person who does that. Uh, cause I, even the, the scientists and everyone that I work with, they were, 
beyond excited about it because they find those problems too and it drives them crazy <laughs> so so um so I wanted to make sure it was as real as possible just because I love kind of that aspect and genre uh version of superheroes I think making people laugh is hard but I think people making people learn is probably equally as hard right or, or making yeah. something exciting to where you want to explore it afterwards and I really appreciated the fact that you took that approach like hey I'm going to give you something that's entertaining but if you want to know the science behind it I'm going to give you a little bit of that too it's not easy to do no no it's not but uh, the one of the reasons I wanted to do it that way was because like obviously you don't have to read the back if you don't want to but I wanted it I personally wanted to elaborate on it more but if I was to do that in the story it would make it dry and sciencey and no one would keep reading so but as a lot of uh, comic book readers are into uh, science in general or history and stuff like that I figured um, <clears throat> that this would be a good a good way to do it is to make sure it's readable without it and then include it if they want to learn more so um but yeah i know what's funny is i didn't even think that i just figured kind of a general audience and those people into science uh would really like it and my dad actually pointed it out because he he had a uh, uh, principal come to me asking for wholesale prices for their school and um i was like why <laughs> and uh he's like okay like there's no cussing there's no um explicit content or anything like that which was my personal choice um he goes and and they can learn why wouldn't schools want to use it and i'm like oh i feel really dumb <laughs> so um but but yeah i mean i had i go to schools all the time and talk about science and art and writing and actually music too music's going to be in the next one because um, i was a musician before i was a visual artist so um and I'm working my way into including everything I've ever wanted to do into this series. So I've presented to a music class already, but um, that was way before I even had a solid way to include it. But um, but yeah, it's it's surprising how many people love the science aspect of it. And actually, you can even go online uh, on our science page, and there's like videos and and even more elaborating on the science than in the book as well. Like there's one I have to add um, from the first one, like there's that disappearing island. There are a lot of islands that just kind of randomly disappear and reappear in real life. So, and I found a few that were a good correlation to, to the disappearing island in, in the story. So, um, so, I mean, I'm always finding new things to put in there. So, um, and people love it. They love it. Any uh, elementary schools calling for morally bankrupt? <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, no. Uh, <laughs> good, good. Right, right. <laughs> no, but it is, I go to middle schools and, and up because of the content and the, the common knowledge level. Um, like, you know, kids don't totally understand what a magnetic field is. You know, around middle school, they've kind of been taught that. You know, so... Even just saying the line, you know, uh, liquid metal with a current generates a magnetic field. I mean, that's probably still going to go straight over their heads. So, um, so yeah, so middle school and, and, and high school, unless they just want, you know, someone to talk about art or something like that. So, um, but yeah, and because the fight scenes, as, as I tell them, there's blood, but there's no guts. So, 
So they generally don't want to include the blood into an elementary school. So You guys all have your books. They're drawn. They're written. They're in form that you can hold. I know a lot of people that listen to the show are creators. Where do you go from there? And I'd like to hear from all of you about this. Is it conventions? Do you walk up to Martin and say, hey, will you please put my book in your shop? Where, how, do you, how do you get this in people's hands? Well, I've been going to uh, every comic book store that will uh, <laughs> accept uh, an independent, uh, independently produced one, and there are actually a lot of them in Colorado, and they've been pretty happy with them, uh, including Kapow Comics. They've been especially happy with them so far. I've been going to the uh, occasional event, uh, including Free Comic Book Day, and uh, but uh, one of the most uh, <laughs> interesting moments came when... Uh, uh, one of the guys at the bank I use <laughs> asked me for a, a comic to buy, so I, I sold him a comic at the bank. It was it was pretty it was a fun day. So it's really just really just uh, finding where people finding where the people who want it are, and then getting it to them has been something I've been endeavoring over these past two years now, and it's been. It, it, it's been a fun journey. You've got the stores, but then you also have the, the bank story that I brought up, so it could, it could come from anywhere. And I think in addition to that, just um, going, you know, the circles that you, that you take, eh, the, the circles that you associate in, I think you can find a lot of interest there, too, and generate a lot of, um, I don't know, hopefully sales through, through your friends and, you know, those, say you have, like, a and d group or something like that. You know, you talk about you talk about more than just the game you talk about your lives and i'm sure that like with your project i know with morally bankrupt uh eric and i we end up talking about a lot because it's it's our hobby it's what we do you know and it's what we feel passionate about and that comes out when we talk about it you know um i think for us we do a lot of what you do you know go around to different shops and talk to them and talk to different people and try and do some events you know just because we want to get our story out there and it's nice to hear that somebody else is doing it too, because sometimes you know it can feel very lonely. So, I'd say that's yeah. to use uh, <clears throat> the what you just brought up. Yeah, that's exactly what I did. I walked into Kapow. We had just printed our first issue, and uh, yeah, smart. And I was like, "Hey, uh, would you like to buy my comic?" <laughs> he was like, "Yeah," and I was like, "This is amazing. Someone bought it." <laughs> And yeah, from there it's you know it's it's that that after putting so much work into that, you get that confidence boost when someone's actually interested in it. Mm. And then as you grow with it, and there's, you know, people that kind of grow with it, and they're actually like asking for it at points where, it's it's uh yeah, it's kind of a fun ride there. And I think um, I mean just to bounce off of you, Eric, uh, when we we did the last con we did, uh, Salt Lake. Salt Lake, yeah. You know, it's nice to be able to sit at a table and talk to folks that come up and are interested as well and to have True. people's eyes float over to you. And I mean, in a sea of, of other creative works. Right, right. And to have them catch eyes with you and, you know, come over to the table, that's really, it's something special too. Yeah. You know. Um, so I went a little different route. Um, I have this, uh, not necessarily a philosophy, but it's kind of a, just a saying that makes sense to the marketing portion of it is uh, go big or go home. And uh, I decided whenever I was going to do this that 
it was going to come out at Denver Comic-Con. And as you know, Denver's a huge convention. And, um, and I was very sleep deprived for it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, cause I mean, we had, I was working nonstop up until a week before the convention to get it done. And, um, and then we get there and I was thinking, okay, now I got to sell this. Awesome. Um, and I brought a team of people, uh, and they were actually all dressed in costume as the characters. And, um, so it was almost kind of like a theater thing. So you have like the followers of the villain, you know, how like she'll like more or less carve their sim- her symbol into their backs. Well, I had done all the special effects makeup for it. Uh, and actually we had to start taking some off because people were really concerned that these people were really hurt. <laughs> so, and then we had someone dressed as the villain and one as the hero. And so it was kind of a big spectacle and which was the plan. I, you know, I've been around business my entire life. Um, my dad's own a business, his dad owned a business, you know, uh, understanding the marketing is, is a huge advantage to me, uh, or to anyone is, is, um, is knowing, knowing your audience and how to, how to really put on a show. Um, so I went there with limited editions of the first book and I had 200 and within 24 hours I had none. And, um, so we started selling, uh, pre-selling special editions, um, of the, of the same book for people who wanted to get it there. And I would sign them and send it to them, uh, because I thought for sure that I was going to have enough. Cause I went to the convention the year before and started asking people like, how many would you like, you know, how many do you bring, you know? And I brought double what I was told. So, uh, but, um, as far as, I mean, the conventions are almost, or not necessarily almost, I mean, it's a necessity because there are people that come to those things specifically looking for new things for comics or sci-fi or, or, I mean, that's what they're there for. So you're 10 times more likely to actually make a sale there and people come from all around. So, I mean, you could be at a convention in Albuquerque and have people from California and, you know, whenever they go back to where they are, if they like it, word of mouth is going to start to spread. So um, it's, you know, marketing is, is, is huge. And, you know, a lot of people, I, I, I feel, take kind of like, a, well, if I do well at this convention, maybe I'll do a bigger one. You know, and I, I don't know how much it costs to actually get to Denver was probably the first convention. $3,000-ish? And that was because that was also because we were getting all the T-shirts and everything together, uh, and I mean we walked away the minimum of double of what we put into it. So I mean you're definitely making a return on your sale if you're if you're going big. Um, so I mean and I've heard uh, I haven't done New York yet uh, that is uh, next year, uh, but people in New York I mean it costs them probably five thousand dollars to get there at least, but they come home with triple quadruple that. So, um, I know, and even if you don't make a profit, it's still worth it because you're marketing. And I didn't expect to make a profit at all for the first like five years because I know it's a marketing thing. So, um, it takes a long time for books to kind of get around. Um, so you're fully prepared walking into DCC, $3,000 in the red. Gone. Yep. Mm. 
Yep. Just, you know, that's a lot of money to spend on your passion. Yeah. Uh, speaking for someone who buys all this audio equipment and stuff and has totally, <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> uh, failed in some aspects there. It's, it's a lot when it, it comes down to your money. I'm glad that you were able to not only recoup, but also make some money back. That's, yeah. that's a huge success story. Yeah. But if you would have walked out with only getting the exposure, it sounds like you'd be happy with that as well. Yeah. Well, and it's kind of, for me, this was, it was a win-win no matter what. If it didn't do well, then I still had a showpiece for other employers. So, you know, going into it thinking that failure isn't a bad thing, uh, that's going to change your aspect and the way you think and the way you, uh, you, you put your project. You know, people are, they get so anxious, like if it's not good or people don't like it or I've seen some comics out there that I did not like at all, but they were super popular. So, or they were poorly drawn, but their story was great. You know, it, it didn't, people will overlook certain things. If you have something good, people listen to country music. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. So, I mean, there's always going to be someone who likes your work or even if it's a niche, you could start to develop this cult following. I mean, you never know. So, you know, just go in knowing that at least one person is going to like your work. And if they like it enough, they're going to champion for you, you know? And, uh, so it's, it's all in the way people kind of think about it. And I know a lot of people in comics, they're a little somewhat antisocial, myself included. (laughs) Um, but, um, if you, if you think about it as, you know, you're going out and you're selling your work and yourself as well, um, it's it's really going to impact the way people perceive your work. So, um, you know, if, and like people will ask me, they're like, oh, so are you a scientist? And I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then they just kind of give me this deer in the headlights, like, so, like, so why are you writing about science? It's like, I have consultants to make sure the science is right. You have a lot of consultants. I do, I do. Um, are those friends of yours or people you've met professionally? Some, um, my, one of my physics, uh, uh, she's, she was my physics professor in college, um, highly intelligent woman. Um, and I had just emailed her and asked. And then kind of as I went, uh, I started thinking about it. I was like, well, I just emailed my professors and they were interested. So I actually ended up starting emailing uh, heads of departments for universities like Ivy League or, I mean, just kind of the what I was willing to accept, really. Like, I sent the, the schematics, like, uh, no less than a PhD. You know, this is what field I'm looking for. And within an hour to 24 hours, I have five or six emails of people interested. So, um, and it's, I mean, I was really surprised at how willing people were to work on projects and whether I paid them or not. I mean, I was like, well, I pay you this much an hour. And they're like, no, I'll do it for free like please just just let me do this you know and uh including um including all the military uh consultants the military consultants are people that i know um one of them is one of my physical therapists uh he's a the former lieutenant colonel of the special forces and man he's cool and uh so um but uh but yeah i mean it's not necessarily like all about who you know it's kind of how you approach it so when you guys sit down to write a book what is your process i i'm a joke writer and i'm a podcaster and i find i write my best stuff either when i'm walking or at three o'clock in the morning when i can't sleep i'll put an idea down on a piece of paper i'll wake up the next morning be like that's the best thing you've written in a week uh how do you guys approach your material michael we'll start with you down there man 
Uh, as far as what I do, I... I've been used to writing short film scripts. And so finding out that uh, comic books are very similar and that you just have to you just have to write down this panel is where all this is happening. This panel is where all this is happening. It's something I can do. I can sit down for a couple of hours at times and just do nothing but write and then just look back at it and it's and then and then maybe tweak it if need be, but then just sit down for another couple of hours later on and just pour a whole bunch out and then look back and admire what I've written. So it's a very... It's something I can do in a, a concentrated burst of time and be able to then then think about it some more elsewhere and then come back to it later. Do you find you have the same problem Jennifer mentioned that you're never really done? Uh, there's a, there's a certain point where I will look at something and say, okay, that looks good. And then I'll just look at one very specific thing and think, can I make that little thing better? Maybe? No, no, maybe it might be good as is. Or maybe I can do that. And it's, it's, it's been a rarity, though. Most of the time, I'll have something pretty solid. And unless I'm going through a total revision of everything, that's happened a couple of times, but it's worked out for the better. Every writer listening right now is super jealous of you. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say I am already. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've talked to a ton of writers in my day, man, and no one's ever told me, oh, yeah, I put it down on paper. I look at it. Yeah, it's probably pretty good. And I let it go. And I've read your writing, oh. and it is really good. So don't tr- trust yourself completely. But, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you have that process. And I'm, I'm jealous because I don't know, uh, morally bankrupt, do you guys, when you guys are sitting down to write a joke, does it work like that? Or do you redo it over and over and over? Uh, mm, go ahead. Oh no! Well, yeah, this is this is a dual answer, I think. You I think, think so? Because I just break up my spirograph and go to town. You're the one that writes all the words down, you know. Well, and and that's the secret to us is, uh, you know, I I can't draw, so Eric does all the illustration, and he can neither read nor write, so I do all the writing. <laughs> right. So that's it's good. He yeah. reads it to me, and yeah. Now a lot of the the jokes and stuff yeah. are kind of it's it's. Just uh, we come together, we brainstorm, That's, and then we take the notes on it, and then he kind of goes to town with the script. And and honestly, that's where that's where the best of our material comes from. Is uh, I think the first issue even has a few jokes from we would we would get together with our friends on you know every couple weeks and just like have a good time. Right, right. And we it would be three in the morning, and we all be standing in like uh, what like my front yard. <laughs> yeah, usually, and, and just coming up with nonsensical stories. And at the time, we were working on the first issue, and a lot of the inspiration for some of them came that way. Yeah, um, yeah. I know for like for example, what was it? Pet cre- crematorium. Pet pre- yeah, yeah. That that came from a conversation during a break at work. Right. So, yeah. Us and a friend were just we build joking yeah. around yeah. Uh, how crematoriums work, and uh, it, yeah, just. From there, it, it well, the joke kind of ran, and we thought, you know what, that would go good in our first issue. So we wrote it up, and, and uh, somewhere along the way, we were like, you know, I thought it would look really good in this style. Like, I bet it would really work if we did it in the style of, you know, of uh, the Mad Magazine artist, you know, Don Davis. So I just kind of ran from there. And I mean, as for the longer narratives between us, I think... It comes down to, you know, again, a lot of it is just us. We have a good chemistry between each other. So, you know, we'll just spitball ideas for 
I mean, sometimes 12 hours. Yeah. And then we get to, you know, narrow down these ideas. Okay, well, this would work. And a lot of our uh, longer, our longer bits are, are mashups. Right, yeah, so the, like, longer, yeah the, we, the long bits that are in there. We have one little shop of Ghostbusters, which no one liked, <laughs> unfortunately. But it's a, it's a musical. It's a musical in comic form. And it's a little shop of horrors with Ghostbusters. Which we have vowed never to try again. Yeah. It was experimental, though, and a lot of it is that. It's kind of experimental. How can we mash this joke in and and uh, make it work and try it in this, you know, with this look. And, and it, it is, though. A lot of it is very experimental as we go. And just that one, what we sat down and watched, what, two movies, a bunch of animated shows. If no one's ever heard of um, The Little Shop of Horrors oh, cartoon, yeah. <laughs> don't watch it. Don't bother. <laughs> it's so bad. It's not worth the time. You read the comic and you'll like it just as much. Yeah. So it was good. But yeah, and I mean that's that's a big part of our process is is our chemistry, and that's where we get it from. As far as writing goes, I mean, uh, again, I'm I'm jealous as well, to be to be honest with you. Oh yeah. Uh, if 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 I've ever given Eric a script that I didn't think was garbage, then I just. I don't know. <laughs> you have thrown me a few curveballs yeah. sometimes. So we'll talk. We'll get it fine-tuned. Like, this is the way it's going to be. You hand me the script. I'm like, this is not what we talked about. And, and a lot of the writing is, um, it's, it's sort of the love for writing. I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I know how, how to lay out a comic. And, again, that's a lot of technical stuff. But, right. I mean, even more recently, I'll write a script, and I'll just write a lot of inside jokes in the script for you, Eric. <laughs> yeah, though the scripts have a lot that the, you know, the reader does not see because a lot of it's written t- towards me and yeah, there's a lot of little things that are just dropped within the script that it's like, okay, now I need to yeah. illustrate around this. You guys put yourself in your comic too, which I thought was very interesting. Where did that come from? Is that come from, hey, you know what? We got a panel to fill. We're pretty funny. Or did you always <laughs> want to do that? No, I, th- I think... A part of that came from the whole, uh, like, we didn't want to do anything superhero-related. Mm-hmm. And we we have a lot of instances where we will run through a, a you know, a situation. You go to the store and you have a, an instance, and it's like, wow, that would be a story to tell. And mm-hmm. uh, part of that was, was just, you know... The first well, issue. As we were coming yeah. together, yeah, the first issue was we're making a comic based on it. us creating the comic. Mm-hmm. And these two characters fumbling around in their, you know half-hearted attempt to all do the same and uh, from there it's kind of it's taken off and the the characters just kind of stuck and they're the yeah they're the two that kind of tie all the little skits together yeah it's it's half of a skit show say you know i don't know something like with a, a narrative variety in between show, yeah. yeah variety show and like then, the rocky and bullwinkle show absolutely where the two characters that tie all the little uh variety moments together and in the comic that's what kevin regards rocky and bullwinkle really pretty I mean, much yeah. yeah but that that being said i, I guess mean, that makes me uh all bullwinkle. To, i would say you're bullwinkle <laughs> <laughs> i'm the smaller one so yeah, i'm the other one but yeah um that that in addition i think not to not to use an overused phrase but it's like it's a comic about nothing in the end right it's just about two guys doing stuff. Yeah, it's fun. That's it. It's it's the story of in the most obsc- in the most like um, ridiculous ways possible. That's obviously. pretty much it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jennifer, you don't have an editor. You do all of it yourself. How? I don't have a social life. <laughs> <laughs> At least you're honest. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, it, I do have like proofers and stuff like that. As far well, as far as like my writing style, I I read a lot of research. Like starting from the beginning, I started with just all the metals from the periodic table and found as much inf- information I could on each element and decided how I wanted to include it into the into the character itself. I mean, it, there's just a lot of research that goes into it because of the science behind it. As far as story goes, while I'm driving, it's probably the best writing time for me. And do you dictate or no, do notes? No, just oh, you just come I up just with remember it. it. Yep. <laughs> and um, and I'll, I'll write it down probably within the next week or so, if anything. So, as far as doing all of that, you know, it's I do it in phases. Obviously, like like all comics are. Right now, I'm I'm kind of not. I'm working on the next one, and I'm running a little short on time. So I'm working on the lettering while I'm working on the colors at the same time. Uh, that way, by the time everything's done, I'll have been able to edit it quite a few times. And uh, and I also use that program uh, Grammarly. Okay. Yeah, so I'll put it into that one to make sure that at least the grammar's correct, even though it is dialogue, and it, there can be zero grammar in there if I wanted. But, I mean, once I do that, then I have all my proofers and all that stuff. But yeah, I really have no social life. <laughs> do you always set yourself like a goal like you did with DCC every year? Because that's lofty. Uh, that's really pretty lofty. Much, yeah. Where, let's see. Because, I mean, Denver, just conventions of that size, they have, um, like, their booths are very expensive. So it's, but you can expect a certain return rate. Luckily, I've been developing quite a following. So uh, I actually had two people at Denver last year come up with tattoos of the symbol and the character and stuff like that. It was, it was pretty great. Wow. I uh, had some people come up in costume as well. So that was, those are, those are great moments for me when that happens. Oh, and by the way, if you come to our booth with either of those, you get a free t-shirt. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's, you know, starting off that, that's a little, I mean, you have to go in knowing that you may never see your money again. <laughs> so, but as far as continuing to go, yeah, there, there is a, a certain goal that I would want to meet. Uh, like say the booth cost me $500. If I'm the booth itself, $500, then getting there. And if you need a hotel, you know, that can easily go to nine to a thousand. So if, if more or less, if I'm just making a wash, that's not bad, but that's definitely not what I want. So, um, so, you know, you, it is important to try and cut costs what you can. So if you can get a corner booth, uh, I know there's some conventions where there, there's like a big pillar in it. So they'll offer those at a discount. So if you're not making as much as that at that convention, you can get one of those cheaper ones. And so that would save you, save you money, you know, bring food that saves money, you know. So we had one convention that we did something similar to that. And had we not, we, we wouldn't, we would have been at a wash or just over. But at the same time, it's kind of, it, just because it was a, it was kind of a dying convention is not, not all reality. It was a dying convention. Uh, but had I not done that, then I would have been really upset. So, uh, because you, you never want to be at that, okay, I think we're close, you know. Uh, <laughs> Sunday so, at four o'clock, yeah. Yeah, yeah, seriously. So, but, uh, but the conventions themselves are important marketing-wise. So even if you do get those conventions where you're at a wash or you don't actually meet your goal, you're still uh, advertising, you're still meeting people, and, and people are seeing your symbol and your work, and, and whether they 
consciously remember it or not, the next time they see it, they're going to like, oh, I, I know I've seen this before. Where have I seen it? You know, and it's going to make them stop. So, so even if a convention is dying and you're not making quite as much as you want, uh, it is a, I do think it's important to go at least twice. That way people get that, that brand recognition. I'd like to know what you guys are into besides comic books. Since this is a pop culture podcast, I imagine you're into some other stuff that our listeners are certainly into. And Michael, we're gonna go go this this direction this time. What besides comics? What what do you really get into? Well, you know, I'm a, I'm a bit of a cinephile. I uh, enjoy. I couldn't tell by reading Morley back. Right, right. No, and it it overflows into the comic. Yeah. Um, in fact, especially like the older. A lot of the older things, as you know, as like the the first issue of Morally Bankrupt has the uh, the Terminator, um, the Quantum Terminator mashup between yeah. Quantum Leap and the Terminator, and uh, yeah, that's it between purging old old movies and TV shows and whatnot. Uh, I do like to sit at my desk and doodle when I'm not you know actively working on the comic. Um, <clears throat> that's about. Uh, it's about You're not going to mention though, tabletop like, games. <laughs> I mean, oh well, I guess I could do that too. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, no, I, I am very active in the uh, tabletop community as well. I enjoy uh, many different tabletop uh, games, uh, more than just Monopoly. Um, <laughs> so not Monopoly. So not Monopoly. Yeah. That's a thing. Not a thing. Uh, yeah, no, it's I just love finding them when they come out and purchasing them up and getting the. Uh, Getting everyone together and being like, hey, we're going to learn a new game tonight. Everyone, my place. Let me tell you guys my favorite joke in the Quantum Terminator was just Dean Stockwell. Like, you didn't call him by his character's name. You just said Dean Stockwell. I thought that was brilliant. (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Oh. I'm just going to defer to you now. Yeah. Yeah. See, and that's the thing. Uh, Somebody like myself, I... I don't know that I have hobbies. I do this a lot. I mean, don't get me wrong. I watch movies. I enjoy that. Right. But, I mean, aside from naming just the normal things, I, 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 I play D&D. Does that, does that work? I'm quite involved in that. Yeah. 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 I mean, well, I guess, well, yeah, I if I can, D&D, so. Yeah, if yeah. I can get more offers to more D&D games through this, I am completely willing to take well you should come to our next uh, <laughs> oh, okay D&D game. thank you yeah. yeah you're welcome say there are a ton of local D groups i can put you in touch with oh, if you're yeah. looking for a game in fact i'm even involved in we have a bitface D group if you want to come really? join us we don't play as often we do record the sessions you are welcome to come by okay <laughs> you're gonna Very be like cool. we don't play the game <laughs> but we just call it D night <laughs> <laughs> so so welcome to play and you know, we do have a we do our our dungeon master i mean that is what he does and we are noobs at it so uh, i cool. used to play D when i was a kid didn't play for many years so he's kind of easing us back into it okay i think it's a really good way to express yourself creatively and i think that's what i missed out not playing it i got into video games and i never looked back right. yeah. and now that i'm going back to the tabletop and actually having to interact with people it's a good thing it, it, it really is a good thing if you can find a good group it's of people to play with it's yeah. wonderful I, I think D gives you a bit of um freedom that video games don't as well you know yeah, that's true. Yeah. i mean as much as you can enjoy a well-produced story say um I mean, the most recent one I played is Red Dead Redemption. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, Cowboy the video game. Yeah, Cowboy, yeah. <laughs> Cowboy Simulator. So I really enjoyed that. But I mean, aside, you know, aside from the production value, that there's no, there's no more powerful game engine than your mind and the things that you can that imagine and choose to do. 
just from, you know, I mean, messing around in a town to going on a really long quest with a bunch of folks that you're playing with. Uh, there's something kind of magical about that, right? Right. Mm. Well, and, you know, performing questionably more, you know, <laughs> actions yeah. that, that uh, video games won't allow you to do. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Well, just bringing everybody together, I think that's one thing that video games have gone away from is when we were kids sitting around the living room, passing the NES controller around, yes, I'm very old, um, <laughs> that's gone away because everyone's online now and everyone plays in their own living room. I think getting everyone around the table to play D&D or talk about geeky stuff, it's a lost art and I think it's very important. Absolutely, yes. I think so too. Yes, it is. I mean, I, I've never gotten too much into the online thing. Anyway, I I, I try, but it's mostly everyone's just on it to shoot everyone else up. Like it seems like every time <laughs> yeah. I try anything online, everyone I run into is just like, "Well, I, I'm gonna shoot you and loot your your body." They're like, oh, I thought maybe we could team up and go on a quest. Like, no, we don't we don't do that online anymore. Why do you gotta talk about when we play stuff together? <laughs> <laughs> Friday the Thirteenth doesn't count. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, what system are you guys playing on? Uh, PlayStation, PlayStation oh, Four. Man, okay, yes, I've got it on both. Cool. So I, yeah, I, yeah. after we get done today, I'll get your tag. I would love to play some Friday the Thirteenth. I'm oh, a right. big, oh, okay. not only a big yeah. fan of the movies, but I really like the game a lot. Oh. I was, I was questionable on it at first because it was all online, but I had to play it. And it's, it's not bad. It's, it's a good way to kill a evening. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> and Jennifer, I know you said you have no life, but you have to be into something besides just uh, doing oh, yeah. everything on your book. Well. Okay, well, you're talking about the video games. I had to quit playing video games because I would start playing, and next thing I know, it's four in the morning. <laughs> and the day that I I was playing World of Warcraft, and the day I missed class unintentionally, no, no, that was when I missed it intentionally to play the video game, I realized I had a problem. <laughs> so, so I kind of had to stop playing. Um, but yeah, uh, oh God. Do I have hobbies? I have tons. I actually have tons of hobbies. I, there's a lot that I do. But um, I'm really into music. Um, as weird as it is, maybe you guys know who he is. Uh, the composer, Hans Zimmer. Ooh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. God, that guy's my hero. Uh, he, uh, I've seen him play live twice. And uh, I didn't care how much money it was going to cost me to go see him. Uh, it was he's incredible. He's actually a mentor to one of our first celebrity uh, guests, Carrie Keegan. They're very good friends. So I, I talked to her not on air but off air about Hans. Oh my God, I love that guy. I was front row for both of those, and uh, I just to just to I know that they talked about me backstage because I was the girl in the front row who had that crazy look on her face. <laughs> Just the big smile plastered, and I know they all saw me because they were all looking at me like, "Okay, calm down," you know. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, but that's reciprocal though because you've had people walk up to conventions oh God, that yeah. have the same fan Pretty attitude much. towards you. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, it's, they're they're incredible. I like they're amazing musicians, and uh, as a musician myself, uh, I mean, I recognize the skills. And for Hans for Hans Zimmer to be able to pretty much do anything. Like from uh, the Lion King to the Last Samurai to Batman to Inception. Uh, I mean, you for, for me, it's if someone can do a score um, so vastly different that it's unrecognizable from other work, that is incredible, and and he is able to do that flawlessly, and uh, so um, so music is one of my hobbies, <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I do I do write music, but I. 
And I, I do get inspired a lot by Hans Zimmer's work by including uh, like classical uh, instruments uh, with electronic as well. Um, he's, he's very good at it. And I mean, there are very few uh, musicians and composers that can replicate his skill level. Um, but uh, i trying to think what else. Oh, I'm also a personal trainer. I don't do that right now, but I am a personal trainer. Uh, I was a, a college athlete, uh, so I still try to keep up with that stuff. But uh, So you do have a life. You lied to us earlier. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, leaving the house twice a year doesn't really count. <laughs> Fair enough. Before we wrap here today, guys, I want to go from Michael back up the table one more time. I want to know what you're working on now, and I want to know what's the best place for our listeners to find your work, because I have read all of it, or at least started reading all of it, and I enjoyed uh, all of it very much. So I want our listeners to know what the best place is to get your work, and what can we expect upcoming from you? Well, uh, uh, the final touches are being put on the third issue of the Arrhenius Project. It will be out uh, this month. You can find it at Kapow Comics when it comes out. You can also find it in any comic book store that uh, takes the Arrhenius Project. Uh, there's also... Uh, it, it's in the big warehouse in Denver, the uh, Jason Street Megastore, Mile High Comics which is also where I'm angling to uh, be uh, at their free comic book day this year. And that's, that's coming up very soon, so be ready. All right, well, as of right now, we're, uh, I am currently putting the final touches, illustration-wise, on uh, issue five of Morally Bankrupt. So mm. we're hoping to have that out soon. That does not mean that the editing is almost done. <laughs> but it is coming along. I like, I like to assume the moment I, I finish touching it with the, uh, with the pen, it's ready to roll. Well, I think uh, Jennifer would agree with me in saying that editing is the easiest and quickest part of making a comic, right? Oh, definitely. Definitely. It's just minutes. Within minutes, you're done. Just, yeah. And I don't see a lot of that, so I just assume. It's just, yeah, it's plug and play. Why isn't it ready after I hand it over to you? Um, aside from that, we are also working on a uh, book this winter coming out. Uh, oh, uh, it's, it's, it's a holiday-themed book. It's um, based around a beloved character, uh, children's character, Dolph Lundgren. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, it's, uh, the, the title of the book currently is uh, Dolph Lundgren, the Ripped Bod Reindeer. So, <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. that's great. That should yeah. be due this winter. And... Uh, and in addition to that, we're actually working on another project. It's a it's going to be another running series like Morally Bankrupt, which I know is <laughs> we're just asking for trouble at this point. We're doing a lot, um, but we've been throwing back and forth ideas about uh, taking on the uh, lives of henchmen, you know, uh, or as Eric has called it, the, the unsung villains. Yeah, the of, unsung uh, villains of the villain community. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, that is actually based, uh, I guess the idea kind of spawned from a, a short that we're going to have upcoming in uh, issue five. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's where we decided, eh, you know what, I, it would be neat to run with a, uh, a, a collection of uh, stories uh, centered around the henchmen of the villain world. Yeah, so I mean, with, with all of those projects on the table, it's just safe to say that we're masochists, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's fair. Yeah. But we love doing it, and uh, you know, hopefully we can produce more. And uh, thanks 
thanks to everybody that makes Morley Bankrupt a success, and all of our fans. They're great. And look for issue five soon, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Um, well, I'm currently working on uh, the next series. Um, it is still the Faroken, but it's not Origin anymore, um, which you guys actually get the first glimpse. I haven't actually told anyone the name of the next one, and you guys are going to get it. So it's called Nevermore, and you can kind of infer uh, from that. Little Poe reference yeah, there. Yeah, little Poe reference there. Um, and uh, it is the first book in the series. It's probably going to be a two-parter, um, but... If I get it done in time, <laughs> there's going to be an early release at Denver Comic-Con. Um, that's the little asterisk there, if I get it done in time. Um, and it will be a limited edition as well. Um, and uh, it will come out in August, officially, though. Um, and you'd be able to get it on Comixology, the digital uh, platform, uh, as well as theorycomics.com, which is the publisher site. Um, and that I'll, you can get it at most comic book stores, but I know for sure <laughs> that that uh kapow comics sells sells the series here so so you'd be able to get it here for sure uh also at most conventions here in colorado i try to go to as many as those as possible but uh but yeah any of you guys going to be at colorado springs comic-con i will you will be yes to Colorado Springs. No, I know, I don't know. I'm sorry, there's a few in the Springs here. It's, uh, that's yeah, one in August. Okay, 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 yeah. We are planning it. That's the, we are planning to be there, yes. Okay, Michael, Colorado Springs Comic Con? Uh, if you weren't planning on it, maybe I can get you a hookup? <laughs> maybe. Okay. Uh, I know that um, no right, right now the event I'm working on is Free Comic Book Day this May. That's that's the, That's been my focus so far. Okay. So well, once I get that all set up, then I can look into other events. That's fair. Well, I want to thank you guys so much for coming out to Kapow today on what looks like it's going to be a very stormy day. So hopefully we're going to all beat that home tonight. It was very interesting to talk to all of you. Thank you so much for sharing not only your work with me, but also sharing your time with me today and your wonderful answers to the questions. I'm going to go down the table one more time and give everyone a good uh, a good outro here. If you guys are local to Colorado Springs, and I know a lot of people that listen to BitFaced are, if you haven't come by Kapow, why not? Uh, not only can you get all of this wonderful work here, yeah, Martin, right? But uh, let me tell you, if he's in a good mood and you've got a question about comic books, Martin will answer it for you. And I know a lot about comics, but I know nothing. Even if I'm in a bad mood. <laughs> <laughs> His tone might just be a little different. Uh, Martin is, is, is the master, though. He really does love talking comics. He's the guy I go to when I have questions about comic books, and this is my favorite comic book store. It's, it's the reason we come here. We're glad that they support us because we always want to support them. From the Aaron Ease Project, Michael Blickley. From Morally Bankrupt, Eric Josephson and Kevin R. Smith. And last but not least, from the Farokin, Jennifer Swartwood. I am Eric G. Hollis from BitFaced. We're looking forward to another really great year, guys. I've got a couple things that I can announce today that we've got in the bag. If you thought the interviews last year were good, just wait till you see who we have coming up this year in August. Anyway, thank you guys so much for listening to the episode. Please check this stuff out. If you've got questions about where to get it, send me a private message on Facebook. I will get back to you, I promise you, because you guys will enjoy all three of these books. From the BitCave on the road today and from Kapow Comics. I am Eric G. Hollis and we are out.